Hello fellow travelers and welcome to Adventures in Security, episode 11 for January 29th, 2006. I'm your host, Tom Olzak. This is a weekly podcast published each Sunday evening sometime before midnight. You can also find all of the information covered in our episodes at adventuresinsecurity.com. If you're interested in commenting on what you hear or about topics you'd like us to talk about, please send email to podcasts at adventuresinsecurity.com. The purpose of this podcast is the exploration of security management, including the crazy things people try to do to each other and to themselves. In today's episode, we'll discuss our national infrastructure's vulnerability to cyber espionage, how to prepare for the ultimate hack, and in our featured topic segment, considerations for securing voice over IP. But first, some announcements about changes to the podcast. In the first 11 episodes, including this one, I've been on my own, sharing my personal views and thoughts about security. Starting next week, I'll be joined by two of my associates, Chris Osborne and Larry Hines. The basic format of the podcast won't change, but it'll take on a more conversational tone. In addition, Larry brings a more technical viewpoint to our topics. And finally, we'll be bringing you interviews with individuals who are considered authorities in the topic covered by our feature segments. Overall, it'll be a more informative, well-rounded look at the topics discussed. I also want to announce the creation of our Adventures in Security blog. It contains all the information covered in each episode, as well as sources for more information or tools related to the subjects we discuss. You can get to the blog by visiting adventuresinsecurity.com or by going directly to the blog page at adventuresinsecurity.com forward slash blog. Make sure to register so you can keep up with all the new information posted every day. Okay, let's move to our first topic, cyber espionage. How vulnerable are we? I was prompted to put this together by a recent attack by Chinese hackers on the UK Parliament. Hacking activities thought to be related to the theft of government secrets are a real threat to national security. In January 25, 2006 article in Computer World, John E. Dunn reported that email containing an exploit for the Windows WMF vulnerability was sent to recipients in the UK House of Parliament. According to Dunn, over 70 PCs were targeted on January 2, 2006, with messages intended to install keyloggers. This was confirmed by Message Labs Limited, the government's message filtering company. Luckily, the messages were identified and stopped before they could reach their targets. The most disturbing piece of information coming out of this incident is the source of the attack, Guangdong Province in China. An isolated one-time attack might be passed off as just another malicious individual flexing his muscles, but this is at least the second incident in which Chinese attackers have targeted foreign governments. On November 1, 2004, attackers located in Guangdong Province launched an attack against the U.S. Army facility at Redstone Arsenal, but this attack is thought to have been successful. It's believed that U.S. military secrets, including aviation specs and flight planning software, were stolen. It's also believed that the intended recipient for this information was the Chinese government. This successful breach of U.S. government security is part of an ongoing attempt by the Chinese to hack into government computers. U.S. officials have named the hackers Titan Rain. 
So just how vulnerable is the U.S. infrastructure to cyber attacks by other nations or terrorist groups? During a 2004 FISMA-required audit of security implemented by entities within the federal government, seven departments failed to achieve a passing grade. Included in the list of failed departments was the Department of Homeland Security. Congress and the Bush administration cut by 7% the 2005 DHS budget for cybersecurity programs. In February 2005, the Presidential IT Advisory Committee, or PTAC, completed a report entitled Cybersecurity, a Crisis of Prioritization. The following findings and recommendations were presented to the Bush administration. The first finding, the federal R&D budget provides inadequate funding for fundamental research in civilian cybersecurity. Their recommendation, the NSF, DHS, and DARPA budgets should be increased significantly. The second finding, the nation's cybersecurity research community is too small to adequately support the cybersecurity research and education programs necessary to protect the United States. Their recommendation, double the size of the civilian cybersecurity fundamental research community by the end of the decade. Their third finding, current cybersecurity technology transfer efforts are not adequate to successfully transition federal research investments into civilian sector best practices and products. Their recommendation, the relationship between the federal government and the private sector must be strengthened. Lines of communication and cooperation must be developed and maintained. And in their final recommendation, they stated that the overall federal cybersecurity R&D effort is currently unfocused and inefficient because of inadequate coordination and oversight. Their recommendation, the Interagency Working Group on Critical Information Infrastructure Protection should become the focal point of R&D efforts, coordinating and prioritizing all activities. And finally, in December 2005, the members of the Cybersecurity Alliance expressed to the Bush administration its frustration with the lack of progress made in addressing online crime. The group, including organizations like Computer Associates, McAfee, Symantec, and RSA, believes that the lack of support and leadership shown by the federal government threatens the economy and national security. We shouldn't expect the federal government to solve all our problems, but we should expect leadership when national security and the overall public welfare are threatened. Congress and the President must change their priorities when addressing cybersecurity within the context of overall defense and social spending. If this doesn't happen, hackers will continue to outstrip our ability to protect our national infrastructure. Terrorists and foreign governments will find us a soft target. Our second piece in this episode is entitled, Planning for the Ultimate Hack. The attack surface for hacking opportunities is getting larger every day. Even antivirus applications are vulnerable. F-Secure just announced a patch for a vulnerability in their product. On this side of the ocean, Symantec announced several weeks ago that its antivirus library might allow the execution of malicious code because of a high-risk buffer overflow vulnerability. The important point to take away from these announcements is that AV applications are just that, client-side applications. All client-side apps are written by humans. Humans make mistakes, and mistakes equal security vulnerabilities. As organizations shore up their Windows operating systems, non-Microsoft applications are becoming a more attractive target for hackers. 
The SANS Institute warns that the number of flaws in client-side apps continues to grow. This includes applications ostensibly intended to protect our end-user devices and our networks. This is providing easier access to sensitive information, which can result in HIPAA violations and identity theft. The bottom line? Plan for hacking, because it's coming to a network near you. But what is the best planning approach? Some organizations plan for small events. They base their planning decisions on the premise that the probability is quite low that a worst-case scenario will become reality. Other organizations plan for worst-case scenarios with the understanding that if their response team is trained in the worst that can happen, they can take care of lesser incidents. I subscribe to the latter approach. Incident response includes planning, team development, and testing. If your team trains for small hacks, it may not be able to react to the big one when it occurs. The proverbial handwriting is on the wall. The probability that your business will be a victim of a major compromise is growing every day. Plan accordingly. Now to our final segment, Voice over IP Security. Voice over IP, also known by the acronym VOIP or VOIP, is quickly growing in popularity. Organizations are initially attracted to this relatively new technology because of its lower per-call costs when compared to traditional voice services. But they soon realize that VOIP provides much more value. For example, unified messaging, though still in its infancy, is introduced into the enterprise. Users can listen to their email and access their voicemail through their email. Also, applications can deliver company data directly to the phone display. And VoIP runs on an organization's data network, eliminating the need for a separate infrastructure just for voice. And finally, moving phone service for a user from one location to another is as simple as plugging their existing IP phone into a network jack at the new location. Like most emerging technologies, there is a catch. As VoIP is integrated into a company network, new security challenges are introduced. These include the fact that traditional network hackers have a new set of applications and protocols they can scan for vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities that provide easy access into converged data and voice networks. And since VoIP relies on the TCPIP suite of protocols, voice now becomes vulnerable to tried and true TCPIP exploits. I've posted resources on the Adventures in Security blog that provide a detailed look at what you face if you decide to implement VoIP in your organization. These resources include an Excel spreadsheet you can use as a quick reference to help you or your IT staff think through the VoIP security analysis process. So let's just take a high-level look at some common security challenges. Preventing physical access to the IP infrastructure is as important to securing VoIP as it is to securing your current data network. If an attacker can't get to your network wire, you'll have a hard time gathering data necessary to compromise your network or your business. Keep all network devices like routers, switches, and hubs in locked locations. A new physical vulnerability introduced by IP phones is the integrated switching capability inherent in many models. Anyone can jack into your network by plugging a drop cable into the back of an IP phone. Without going into too much detail here, I'll just say that you need to work with your network engineering and voice teams to either disable the phone integrated switches or configure the switches to reside on a virtual network. 
that is separate from your data network. You've probably spent a lot of resources securing your data network. You don't want to punch holes in your defenses by adding hundreds of switch ports with physical access and logical access to your business critical applications. A problem not unique to VoIP traffic is eavesdropping. This becomes a big problem if your physical access controls fail. Placing a network sniffing device on your voice network, an attacker can obtain user account information, pins, and passwords related to your phone system. She can also gather IP packets for one or more conversations. Later, she can piece the packets together to listen to business phone conversations. For organizations regulated by HIPAA, for example, this can be a big problem. Denial of service attacks now become a possible issue for your voice services. Attacks against SIP, the VoIP signaling protocol, can put voice services into overdrive, preventing users from making or receiving calls. Finally, VoIP infrastructure is vulnerable to malware infection. The same attacks originating from the internet or from a user workstation can spread to your voice systems. These are just four of the many security considerations related to VoIP. But before you start locking down your voice network, consider the impact security has on voice quality. For call quality over VoIP to equal that provided by traditional voice services, the total packet latency between points cannot exceed 150 nanoseconds. Each time you add a firewall, encryption, or other security safeguard, you add to the latency inherent in just passing the packet over your network. It doesn't take long to reach 150 nanoseconds. Like all security activities, securing VoIP requires a balance between security and usability. I'd like to close this episode with a list of best practices for managing a secure VoIP implementation. This, is, this list is from an October 2005 Information Security Magazine article by Jeff Stutzman. A link to the complete article is located in the Sources section immediately following the Securing VoIP blog at adventuresinsecurity.com forward slash blog. The first step is to strategize. Where does your company want to be in five years? If you want to move forward a converged network, be sure to consider the operating limits of systems like voice, IPTV data, and CCTV cameras for surveillance. Gain a solid understanding of what your current infrastructure looks like, how it operates, and how its users interact. Second, assess the current infrastructure. If your network is in good shape before the implementation starts, chances are it can withstand the added strain of convergence. Build remediation and upgrades into your plan and prioritize by risk and cost. Create the necessary underlying infrastructure to accommodate the new systems. Third, Engineer the solution. With VoIP, the threats are the same as in your standard data network, but are strengthened by the need to adhere to a latency budget, port requirements, and SIP signaling. Plan for the worst before it happens. If you have two call managers, one primary and one redundant, you should evaluate your options in case they both become infected. Fourth, outline network operations. How will you provision services, monitor system activity, and detect unauthorized devices in your new VoIP system. Consider the impact newly detected vulnerabilities might have on operations. Fifth, prepare for outages. Incident response on a converged network is generally handled the same way as on a traditional data network, with the caveat that your company must be ready to accept the risk 
that telephone operations will be temporarily halted while remediation occurs. Therefore, have a plan for communicating downtime to your users. And sixth, train yourself and your users. New skills, such as training and telephone dial plans, routing processes, signal implementations, and how to interface with the public switch network, will be required to deal with telephony needs. Be sure to include training, and possibly hiring, for those necessary skill sets. Implementing VoIP will most likely become a requirement for businesses trying to cut costs to remain competitive, but managers must be sure not to weaken their network infrastructures in their rush to improve the bottom line. Well, that's it for this week. I hope we made securing your enterprise a little easier. Until next time, be careful what you click.